I'm your host, Rob Carbone. This is BD4. Episode 192 of the podcast of BD4. What is happening? What's going on, everybody? Hope we're all doing well. I am your host. I am your host, Rob Carbone of BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. This episode of BD4, of course, is sponsored by Anchor. Um... Today is a uh, Monday. It is a Monday night as I am recording. Monday, December 7th. It is Pearl Harbor. Um, Yesterday was Sunday, obviously. Um, Football Sunday. And and the Giants are making a run for first place. Fucking the Giants are making a run to win the division. That's crazy, dude. Dude. That is absolutely insane to me. To me, that's fucking insane. I, you know, you know, I just fucking four, what, five, five and seven now, and they're about to, um, well, not about to, but they're in, you know, decent shape to win this division. It's honestly still a toss up, and it will be a toss up the rest of the way. But fucking picking up an impressive victory over Seattle, you know. Obviously, you don't have Barkley the entire season, and you're finding ways to win. And then, on top of that, last night, they've got fucking Colt McCoy out there playing quarterback for them. And they pick up the win. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's crazy. The NFC East, you know, it's crazy. Um, we'll see what happens. I'm not a big football fan. Football, as I've said, I don't know. It just bores me. Um, but... I do, you know, I'm more of a casual, but I do pay attention, you know. I know enough to, I guess, carry a conversation, you know. But I am a Giants fan, and um, it's crazy to see where they are right now. Um, But no, 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 it's, uh, you know, uh, five and fucking seven, so you've got, what, four or five games left of the season? Four games remaining, so we'll see what happens. All right, um, yeah. So, so that was that. <laughs> but um, obviously, we're talking Knicks tonight. We, we are uh, getting closer and closer to the beginning of the preseason. You know, training camp is almost over. Training camp ends in a couple days. Preseason begins in a couple days, and the Knicks open up in Detroit. Uh, they play the Detroit Pistons for two games in their palace, and then the Knicks head home to the Garden to host the Cleveland Cavs for the next and final two preseason games. So, I'm excited to get underway. You know, every season I, despite, you know, knowing that this is the Knicks and things are going to find a way to go awry and it will be bad somehow, uh, despite all that, I still fucking, you know, find myself exciting, excited, you know, somewhat excited to see what happens here? Um, I don't know why. You know, maybe I'm just stupid. Um, maybe I fucking. I just I'm in desperate need for a sport because again I'm not the biggest football guy, so it's kind of, you know, after the Yankees ended, I've been in need of of that that sports team to watch every night. I don't have anything to watch, and football is only once a week, you know, every weekend. So, yeah, maybe it's that. I, you know, but I'm excited. I get excited for the Knicks every year, and but I do know. Don't worry, I am aware that they're not a good team. You don't have to tell me that. Um, so, so what we're gonna do tonight, guys, is pretty much, you know, predict and, and project some of the um, stat lines for 2021. Now, we're not gonna do everybody, you know, because it, it's what fun is it to predict a stat line for Alfred fucking Payton, you know, or, or Alec Burks or anybody who's probably not going to be here long term. So what we're going to do is, is stick with the, the young kids, the guys we've drafted, um, 
and Julius Randle, we'll, we'll talk about him too because obviously he's a big part of this team, what we're going to do and all that with him going forward. So I'm going to predict some stat lines here. That's going to be fun. going to talk what I think of Tom Thibodeau. I'm going to talk about what to expect from the Knicks as a unit, wins-wise, um, you know, trade-wise, competitive competing-wise, fucking how great will they be in the seedings, are they going to tank, all that stuff we'll get into, okay, so expect this, um, you know, maybe around 30, 35 minutes, we'll see how long we go, Uh, maybe longer, but hey, we'll see, Um, so that's what we're going to do, pretty straightforward, not much has happened really in the news with the Knicks, they did sign two random, I don't know, people, players, I had no fucking clue who they are, um, to G League contracts earlier today. But, again, it's nothing really significant. Just filling out the roster for the remainder of camp and, you know, somebody's gonna get cut. A couple of people will be cut by the time, uh, the season opens up. God, fucking neck. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so... Outside of that, and maybe the fact that Mitchell Robinson has switched agents again, that's like his sixth time, sixth time switching agencies in like the past three seasons, I believe. So he he left uh, Rich Paul in Clutch Sports and is joining an agency who I haven't heard of before called Wasserman. Sounds German. I don't know. (laughs) But um, so he switches agents. He says it's just a personal thing. I don't know. But um, that happened. So we're going to talk about Mitch. We're going to talk about everybody. All the young kids and fucking uh, a couple other guys and what we expect from them individually, the Knicks, and as a unit. So let's head to our first break, and I guess we'll get started right when we get back. All right. BRB. Hey guys, just a quick reminder that if you haven't followed me on social media yet or subscribed to the blog or this podcast... Just go to my website to do all that stuff at nysportstalkrc.wordpress.com forward slash connect. All right. So, um, you know, we might as well just get into it, man. No wasting time, right? You guys are here for that. So I'm not going to waste your time um, any further. So let's get into it. Let's do some projections here. This is probably the, the fucking one of the more fun things that I like to do, you know, um, at the beginning of every uh, every season, you know, I like to predict the stat lines, and you know, I'm a big numbers guy. Um, not not you know to an extent, I like numbers, but I like predicting stats and stuff like that. So um, we'll start with the two guys the Knicks drafted this season, and then I guess we'll work our way down from there. Um, so Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin, okay, who averaged 20 points, eight rebounds, and two assists at Dayton along with a steal and a block at Dayton last year, has been drafted to the Knicks at number eight, right? Um, Draft night was pretty wild. You know, some fans loved it. Other fans did not love it. Um, I, for one, I like it. (laughs) I like it. Uh, I think there are a lot of things to, to be concerned about, you know, with his defense. But overall, I like the pick. I think the Knicks picked the most talented player available. You know, they should be happy that OB dropped to eight because many people expected him to go no later than five. And so here we are. We're, we're talking about OB Toppin in a Nick uniform. So what are we expecting from this 22-year-old NBA-ready product, right? He's, he's pretty fucking old for a rookie. So um, one of the fucking positives to that is he's polished. He's going to most likely be ready. So I expect him to be in the rookie of the year conversation. You know, I think I'll have a good year um, and the numbers will be there. I don't think unlike rookies of the past that the Knicks have drafted, you know, the Frank Nielakinas, the Kevin Knoxes, the Mitchell Robinsons and the RJ Barrett's even, I don't think they're going to be projects. Uh, Toppin, I'm sorry. I don't think Toppin is going to be a project like those guys um, have been. You know, some of them, Frank Knox, more long-term projects than Barrett, you know, who who was productive upon entrance. But I think Toppin is going to be the one guy they get. Um, 
they've gotten so far over these last several years that will be NBA ready and put up numbers that look pretty damn good. Um, so I think the shot will translate. That's been the swing factor. You know, the defense is the one negative. Everybody's talking about the defense. Obviously, that's bad. Um, but I think the NBA, uh, his NBA, his big swing skill in the NBA will be the shooting. Will that translate? Um, I think with more spacing on the Knicks and considering Obi has a decent form, I think it will translate, but I don't think it will be as good as it was at Dayton, right? A few feet back, NBA's a faster game. You know, you're going to have a lot of uh, competition here. So I, I think it will be there. Um, I think he's going to be used in some pick and pop, pick and roll too. Um, he is an efficient shot taker, so, so that should help him. Um, also a solid playmaker. So considering all of these things, what are the numbers going to look like for Obi Toppin? So what I wrote down here, and we're going to talk about the numbers we're going to go over um, are rounded. So I'm not going to go like, you know, 16.2. You know, I'm going to go the whole number or I'll go 0.5. Okay. And then we'll go over some some field goal percentages and things too. So we'll go points, rebounds, assists, um, maybe some blocks and steals, and then we'll go over the percentages. All right, so Obi Toppin, what are we expecting from this NBA-ready project uh, product? Um, I'm going to say this might be a little optimistic, but again, I think he's NBA-ready. I'm going to go ahead and say 17.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, and two and a half assists. Alright, so we're going to go with that. 17.5, 7.5, 2.5 points, rebounds, assists. Um, I think he gets at least 30 minutes. And I think percentages-wise, he's shooting 55, we'll say 55% from the floor. We'll say 34% from three. And we'll go 76% from the charity stripe. That's a pretty damn good season, you know, for a rookie. I think that's you know rookie of the year caliber. You know, maybe Lamelo Ball will compete and edge it out. I don't know, but edge him out. But I think that's a pretty solid damn line for Nick rookie. You know, we haven't had that in a while. Um, so that's Obi Toppin. Now, as we go to Emmanuel quickly, um, obviously different. You know, he's not highly touted like Toppin is. He was picked later. In the first round, 25. But I still think he's a good player, right? He's a shooter, and shooters can shoot. You know, there's not much, no tricks there. If you shoot well, you can shoot well. So I think he will bring that into the NBA. But I just don't know how often he's going to be out there. You know, I don't know if the Knicks are going to make him a regular part of the rotation. I have a feeling, for some reason, I have a feeling that Tom Tibbs is going to bury him. Not bury him, really, but, but play him in the back end of the rotation, all right, and so for that, the numbers I'm about to read aren't that enticing. Um, so I have six and a half points for quickly, two rebounds and two and a half assists. You know, whatever. But the percentages are are you know shooter percentages. He, he's 44 percent from the floor, 39 percent I have him from three, and I've got him hitting 81 percent of his three throws. So I think he will be efficient. You know, he will help the Knicks space the floor with his shooting. He'll help open up those driving lanes for R.J. Barrett, who we're now going to get into last year's draft pick. Um, R.J. averaged 14 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists in his rookie season. He was actually one of only 4 players to produce 14, 5, 2.5, and and 1 steal as a rookie teenager. One of those uh, nitpicky stats, but it's pretty cool. You know, um, he so he's in company with Melo. LeBron, and Luka more recently to produce 14, 5, 2.5 with one steal um, as a rookie teenager. So, fucking awesome. He, he had it. Listen, man. He Yes, he was inefficient, but I still think 14 and 5 um, and 3 assists as a fucking 19-year-old kid your first year in the league. That's not terrible. I don't know why people were making it seem like he was so bad. He had his ups. He had his downs. The numbers were there. They were decent. Nobody's going to be fucking, you know, Kevin Durant right away. He's not going to be fucking a superstar right away. And I don't think he'll ever be a superstar. I think he's got all-star potential. And that's not a bad stat line to start out your, your NBA career. 
yeah, the percentages, I, I get it. But I think they'll improve somewhat. So I think he's going to take on a larger role um, this year. Obviously, with no Marcus Morris around to take the shots, um, you know, maybe eventually no Randall. But while Randall's here, maybe Tibbs will tame him a bit and reduce his role. And Barrett will get more touches, shots, and everything like that. Um, I think the shooting with Barrett will improve marginally. You know, nothing crazy, but realistically, I think the free per, uh, the free free throw percentages will go up. You know, they did progressively improve last year. If you look at the month to months, um, even, you know, 2019 versus 2020 part of the year, it did go up. It, it went up a fair amount. Um, so I think that's going to go up this season. I think the three-point percentage will be about the same, maybe a little better. Um, and I think with better spacing, again, the driving lanes will open up. He'll be able to, he'll be able to finish at the rim at a higher clip, um, improve that efficiency there. You know, he's he's got a very that's what he does. He bullies his way to the rim. He absorbs contact, and you know, with that strong upper body, he's able to finish. Um, you know, and, and so I think Tom Tibbs is going to use this guy, you know, properly. I think that if there's one guy. In the starting fucking lineup that's going to thrive under Thibodeau, it could be Barrett. You know, I know Tibbs likes guys who can run the floor, break down the defense, and post up smaller wings. Well, R.J. Barrett can do all those things, right? And he can play off the ball, too. So he's not just a ball-dominant player. He's No, he's he can play the two-guard, he can play the small forward, and occasionally he'll run the floor as the point forward again. So pretty versatile as a forward. Um, and he's got the mentality, right? We've talked about how Tom Thibodeau, you know, got the best out of Jimmy Butler in Chicago, at least. Um, you know, and Jimmy had that winner's mentality. RJ Barrett has that same kind of mentality, the mindset of a winner. And I think Tom Thibodeau is going to love that. Um, so getting to the numbers of RJ Barrett, again, 14, five and three last season. This year, I've got him jumping to 17 points per game, six rebounds per game. And I've got three and a half assists. Okay, so jumping all around. I think 17, 6, and 3.5 and is not bad. Um, Efficiency-wise, you know, he shot 40% last year. I think that's going to jump to 43%. I think 32% will go to 33%. Okay, so he'll hit one of every three. <clears throat> one of every three. And then I think the free throw percentage will climb. It's not going to be great still. But I think just under 70%, I have him 69%. Okay, so 17 points, 6 rebounds, 3.5 assists on 43%, 33%, and 69%. That's R.J. Barrett. So, I don't know. Am I, am I too optimistic? Am I too down on the kid? Maybe it's a little, uh, a little conservative there. But that's, you know, it's what I expect. I think eventually he'll become a 26-5 guy. That'd be nice, 26-4, something like that, 20 points, you know, 20 to 23 points per game eventually once he improves that jumper because he gets to the line a ton. He's, he's, he starts hitting those fucking free throws, you know, starts hitting the three-point shot at a 35% clip. Eventually, he'll be a 20-plus point per game scorer. But right now, I think this next season for RJ, coming up here in 2021, 17, 6, 3.5, that's not a bad second year. It shows that he's he's starting to improve. Um, speaking of improving, I, I think Mitchell Robinson, another guy who might improve under Tom Thibodeau. Fucking listen, man. With more minutes and starts, hopefully, you know, I'm a little nervous about this Noel signing. And the things that Tibbs is saying, I'm a little nervous. But if he gets more minutes, if he gets more starts, the numbers are going to start climbing. Okay, um, I want to see the rebounding improve, but I'm not sure it's going to go up that much um, because I just don't think he's strong enough. He did put on 10 pounds. He does look a little bit thicker, but he's not, you know, he's going to need a lot more, even more, um, to, to be able to bang down low for 35 minutes a night. Um, I also, I know, I know he's worked on his shot. We see the videos on social media, yada, yada. Um uh, but I just don't see Tibbs using him outside the arc yet. You know, last year it was the same thing. Mitch said he worked on his J, didn't see a single three-point shot, only saw a couple of close-range jumpers. Um, 
But maybe we see some more mid-ranges, right? Maybe we see the free throw percentage climb because he had a down year with the free throws last year. I, I think he can shoot. I, I think it's there. I just don't know if it's going to be at a high volume yet. You know, he's probably just going to be, you know, mostly interior-minded, but he's going to have to develop some kind of offensive skill set. He has no offense game, uh, no offensive game right now outside of you know, cleaning up the glass and rim running. Um, but, you know, eventually, maybe a post game, you know, something at the top of the key, an occasional three-pointer, you know, some mid-ranges, something is going to have to happen for him to be more of a threat offensively. Not so predictable offensively either. Defensively, yeah, it's the foul trouble you want to see improve, right? The foul trouble, staying disciplined, staying on his feet, not doing any low IQ shit out there. Um, and the durability, he's, if he's going to get these starts, he's going to have to last. You know, I want to see him get at least 30 to 33 minutes a night. That would be ideal here. Let the guy go out there, let him fucking play. I think with that foul trouble, with that durability you know he's a thin kid I don't know how long he'll be able to to stay on that floor I don't know because I know Tibbs likes to give his guys 35 plus minutes a night I don't know if Mitch is going to be there yet but I would like to see him play a lot more than he has so far in his first two seasons for one he needs to start every day and for two he needs to at least play 30 to 33 minutes that's my goal for him now Talking numbers, okay? So last year, Mitch, rounding it off, averaged 10 points. He averaged 10 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 blocks. That was in like 20-something minutes a game, maybe 22 minutes. 22 minutes, and he did 10-7-2. So if you're giving him, let's just say he gets 30 minutes a night and he starts, I'm looking at 15 points here, 9 rebounds, and and 2.5 blocks. That's pretty damn good for a fucking third year, for his first year starting and getting legit minutes to go 15, 9, 2 and a half. You know? Uh, I think he doesn't break another field goal percentage record, but I think he still shoots a high percentage, being that he's rim running. Um, if he starts taking a little more jumpers, it might go down a bit. So I've got 67% from the floor and then 63 at the line. Again, I, I think there's a, a shot there. So, um, you know. I don't think he shoots as poor as he did last year at the line, uh, 56%. I think he goes to 63, somewhere around there. Um, so, yeah, with, with more minutes, more starts, the production is going to be there. I think so. You know, eventually you want to see those rebounds go into the double figures, but I think 15-9 and nine, along with 2.5 blocks is not a bad start. You know, year three, right? You know, dr- uh, Guys like Drummond didn't really become put up monster lines until later. Guys like Gobert had slow starts of their careers. You look it up. DeAndre Jordan didn't get started until like year five. You know, a lot of big men took time. Um, Let's go to uh, Frank Nilakina. Okay? This is a controversial subject in New York, right? So we're going to get to Frank when we get back. A quick reminder that if you haven't followed me on social media yet or subscribe to the blog or this podcast, just go to my website to do all that stuff at nysportstalkrc.wordpress.com forward slash connect. All right, so Frank Nilakina, Frankie Frank, Frankie Smokes, the Prince, the Fresh Prince, the French Prince, whatever you like to call him. You love him, you hate him. A lot of people have different opinions on Frank. A lot of people. Um, last year, Frank averaged six points, two rebounds, and three assists. This year, I think he will jump that. I really think he will be a Tibbs guy, too. Um, well, here's the thing. He could either be a Tibbs guy or the Knicks could continue to bury him. I, I should probably say that. Okay. You know, I, I think there's... You're either, and this could be with a lot of the young kids. Honestly, this is what concerns me about Tibbs, and we're going to get into it in a second later. But you know, if the Knicks don't bury him, okay, and if Tom Thibodeau plays Frank Nilakina, you know, another guy who I think should get around thirty minutes, um, you know, maybe twenty-seven to thirty minutes, whether that be off the bench or not, I think he needs to get time. 
Um, and I think he could. If Tibbs plays him, he could benefit under Tibbs. Tibbs could, you know, Tibbs loves, we've said it, Tibbs loves to use the entire floor. He loves using those corners, and who on the Knicks loves shooting from the corners? Frank Nilakina, right, who shot 48% last season in the corners. So I think Tibbs is going to use Frank off the ball at the two, running in the corners. Okay, use him as a shooter on the corners. And then defensively, obviously, you get your defensive wing who could guard from the one spot all the way up to the bigger threes. Right? He's got the length to disrupt the passing lanes and plays well on the perimeter and on the interior. Again, he can guard the bigger wings too. Um, and, and so I, I think that's how he's going to be used. Um, somebody who can give you a little bit of 3 and D. You know, hopefully the three-point percentage goes up. Um, unselfish passer, you know, not a playmaker, really. Not, you know, not a guy who is just going to make some flashy passes, but makes the right passes and is very unselfish with it. You know, sneaky handles. We've seen him dig into his bag of tricks when he's feeling confident, you know, down the stretch. Last season, he did that a couple times late in the game. So he's got some sneaky handles. You know, when he's feeling confident, he can put the ball on the floor. But he's a high IQ player, man. That's why people like him. He's a high IQ, going to play hard type of guy. That's what we want to see, too. We want to see him play aggressively. You know, continue to play with confidence, as he did towards the end of last season. You know, continue to improve that outside shooting. Because he has a nice form to be a 3 and D wing, guys. I really think there's a three-point potential there. There is something there for me to believe he has three-point potential. Okay, and so that being said, um, all that being said, I think, okay, this is optimistic, if anything, but I think if Tom Thibodeau uses Frank, I think he's going to get the best out of him. And I'm going to go ahead and be optimistic with my projection once again here and say nine points, three and a half rebounds, four assists on 41% from the floor, 36% 36% from distance, and 84% at the stripe. Those are nothing to jump out of you, obviously. But they are all, a lot of these numbers, are career highs for Frank. The nine points will be a high. The three and a half rebounds will be a high. The four assists will be a high. The field goal percentage, the three-point percentage, those are all highs. So I think if he can give you nine, three and a half, four, and shoot 36% from the arc, you got a guy who's, you know, heading towards... NBA caliber player territory for once. You know, you can actually keep him on the floor longer because he'll give you some offensive production. More reliable from downtown. I think it's there. You know, that was the thing. When when we drafted Frank, we were hoping that eventually he could become a 10-5 guy. So I think this year he at least takes a step in that direction. Okay, I don't ever think he's going to pan out as to be a lottery-worthy player in terms of putting up superstar numbers, all-star numbers, or even very, very good player numbers. That's not going to happen. He's never going to average 15 points. He's never going to, you know, contend for an all-star appearance. You could forget about that. But I think he could still be a quality NBA player to give a team a boost in a positive manner. Okay? It's not always about the numbers. We've seen this before. Guys put up numbers, but they're losing impacts. Julius Randle. Okay, so I think nine, three and a half, four on thirty-six percent from deep is not a bad start. Year was it year three for Frank, or was this year four? This is year four of his career, so this is his make-or-break season, guys. This is it for Frank. He's been in trade talks for a while, for years now, and I think if he doesn't show some kind of improvement numbers-wise and do what I just have here projected, if he doesn't do something like that. It's going to be hard for him to to see a future here in New York. But I think it's there. I think if Tibbs can use him the right way, if the Knicks don't bury him, it's there. That potential is there to be a player who can remain on the floor because he'll have some kind of offense. So I think that's going to happen. All right. I hope that's going to fucking happen. Okay. This is more of an optimistic, wishful thinking projection than anything, but nine points, four assists, closer to that you know, 10 to 12 points, 5 to 6 assists, you know, ceiling that we're hoping for eventually. 
And I think if you want to add in, you know, steals, I'm going to say 1.5 steals per game. So there you go, man. There's your 3 and D wing, Frank. He's going to have his first 3 and D type of season. All right. Dennis Smith Jr. Talking about point guards. Dennis Smith Jr. Another guy with a rough season last year. And just like Frank, Smith averaged six points, two rebounds, and three assists last year. Okay, and just like Frank, I don't know why I'm getting very optimistic with these guys, but here we go again. More of an optimistic projection than anything. But I hope he improves under Tom Tibbs. And if Tibbs uses him, I think Dennis Smith Jr. will bounce back. I do not think Smith is as bad as he was last year. I don't think he's a six points per game guy. Considering everything that happened to him, man, the injury at the start of the year, right? He was promised the starting point guard role. He gets injured. Comes back from the injury. Doesn't play well. Alfred Payton eventually takes that starting spot. DSJ, sent to the bench. Doesn't produce consistently because he's not getting good minutes. Body language is poor. Loses his stepmother. A lot of shit. Took a hit mentally. Confidence took a big hit. So I think he comes back stronger this year. They're saying he looks great at camp. Take that with a grain of salt. Multiple grains of salt. But I think he comes back strong this year. And I'm going to say it. I think Tibbs, he loves using guards and getting the best out of them. I'm going to fucking say it. He bounces back. I know a lot of people are going to kill me for that. DSJ, what? I know. Here we go. 14 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists. That's not bad. That's credible. 14, 3, and 5. Better than anybody else on this team. If those are what he's going to do. 14 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists. 42% from the floor. 32% from 3. 76% free throws. Hey. Back on track. All right. I'm hoping, man. I'm hoping for I'm rooting for the kid. I am. A lot of people just root against him. I'm rooting for him. Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox. All right. Here's another controversial Nick. Three in a row. Frank, Smith, and now Knox. A lot of people have opinions on these three. Uh, Kevin Knox, uh, listen. I get it. I get it. You know? Guy was horrid last year. Six points, three rebounds, one assist. The percentages were in the low to mid-30s with the field goal in three. Defense was abhorrent. Repulsive to watch. But, you know, if Tibbs uses him right, and if Tibbs gets on his ass to play hard because that because of that low motor is what fucking Knox has been bashed for before, if Tibbs gets Knox playing hard, I think he will reward him. You know, you, listen, you can see it's there. If you put your hate aside for a second, you could see there's something there. In his rookie year, Knox was at least respectable and he showed some promise. Let's not forget that. He did average 13 points and 5 rebounds as a rookie out of Kentucky. Who, by the way, Calipari pretty much said he's going to suck out of the gate. Let's not forget that. So 13-5. and five, All the way down to 6-3. and three. It happens when there's, when there's Marcus Morris out there taking your, your minutes. When there's Mo Harkless taking your minutes. When there's Bobby Portis on the team. There's Taj Gibson taking your minutes at the four. He's got, he got buried. Like D.S. Shea. He lost confidence. He got sporadic playing time. Hard to get into a rhythm. Played so poorly he couldn't stay on the floor. That's going to happen. But I see there's something there to where you should at least give him another shot. There's no point in just dumping him. You have him. Might as well play him. You're not going anywhere anyway. You're the Knicks. You're not going to compete. Throw out all the young kids on the floor. See what they can do. You can see some of the tools with Knox. The athleticism. The explosiveness when he plays hard. The length. Long wingspan. The size. He can play the four if he needs to. Nice shooting form. He's had games where he's put up some impressive numbers. I keep thinking about that 26-15 and 15 he dropped on Charlotte in 2018. You know, the dunk on Ben Simmons against Philly. You know, he's had 
eight four plus three point outings in his career. So he's had some games, you know. Listen, he's made 190 triples over 140 games. So that tells you right there the jump shot isn't broken, right? That tells you there's something there with his three point shooting. You know, if he's made well more than one three a game on average, that tells you, okay, he's capable of shooting. He's just got to get that percentage up. So Kevin Knox, my projection here. Okay, and again, another optimistic one. I'm going optimistic all the way with these, all right? He's going to jump from 6-3-1 to 12 points, 6 rebounds, and and 1.5 assists. Okay? 12 points, 6 rebounds, 1.5 assists for Knox. And he's finally going to shoot over 40. 41% from the floor, 37% from distance, and 72 at the stripe. Okay, so another bounce back, decent year. It's time for Knox. I know, not all of these are going to hit. I'm going to be really off with, with some of them. Maybe a lot of them. Maybe all of them. Who knows? But, hey, let's let's be optimistic here. Why not? Let's, let's, let's get our hopes up, only to be let down in the end. <laughs> let's do it. Um, moving on. We've got, let's see, one, two, two more. We've got two more guys. So, here's one guy who I don't think is... Ignas Brasdigas. I don't know if the Knicks are going to use him. He might be in Westchester, stash him down there, which they shouldn't. I, I, it's time to fucking use this guy. You drafted him. You know, many people were calling him the steal of the second round a couple years ago, and here he is, still not really getting time. Let's fucking go. If we're going to call this guy a steal, the Knicks are going to call this guy talented like they like they ever always do when they're fucking asked about Iggy. Let's play him. Get him on the squad. He averaged twenty-one points, seven rebounds, and three assists with Westchester last season. All right, so if the Knicks give him time, I think it'll be off the bench, and I think he could give them something like nine and a half points, five rebounds, and two and a half assists. Good numbers, right? Okay numbers. 40% from the floor, 33% from distance, and 75% at the stripe. Um, I've said he reminds me of a Joe Angles type of player. You know, I think Iggy can do something like that. Give you some shooting, some craft. He's a very crafty uh, player. Puts the ball on the floor, attacks the rim, plays with a fearlessness to him. So I'm going to go nine and a half, five and two and a half on 40, 33, and 75 percent. All right, guys. Julius Randle. Here we go. So Julius averaged 20 points, 10 rebounds, and. Uh, what was it three assists last season? I know, you know, the numbers look a lot better than the production was. Um, but uh, let me get on the right page here. But th- those were his numbers, okay? Um, I think under Tibbs, he sees a reduced role, and Tibbs uses him more efficiently in spots that he's supposed to operate from. You know, the low block, and not, not so much just recklessly shooting jumpers and threes and recklessly spinning into the post and losing the ball. I don't think we see that as much under Tibbs. And he's more of a disciplinarian type of coach. So I think we see a more efficient Randall um, and a reduced role, I would hope at least, you know. But I'm pretty sure any half-competent Knicks fan wants to see Obi over Julius at that starting four spot. Right, their games just don't complement each other, um, you know. And plus, you know, with with Randall out there getting the same amount of touches, shots, it's going to stun other guys. You know, Barrett is supposed to be your number one option. You know, so you want him to take a reduced role. And I think that said, the numbers are going to take a decrease in terms of the counting stats. They're going to get 17 points, and nine rebounds, and two assists. But the efficiency is going to climb a bit. You're going to get 47%, 31% from three, and 72 at the line. Okay. So, I don't know. Uh, you know, I hope they could trade him before, you know, as quick as possible. But we haven't heard any rumblings. And maybe we haven't heard any rumblings because people know who Julius Randle is. Maybe there's a reason nobody fucking wants this guy. You know, they don't think his play is worth the contract. So... I don't know, man. Why the fuck did we drop top, draft top enough if we're not even going to make a move here? we got to do something before the deadline. 
I was hoping before the season, but here we are. Nothing even close. But that's my projection. That's pretty much it. Those are my projections for every player. All right. So if we want to review it real quick, Toppin, 18 and 8. Uh, quickly, 39% from three. Barrett, 17, 6, and 3.5. And um, Mitch, 15 and 9. Uh, Frank, 9 and 4, 36% downtown. DSJ, Bounces back 14 and 5. Kevin Knox goes 12 and 6. Ignas, 9 and a half, 5. Julius goes 17 and 9. Alright, so those are my projections. You let me know what you guys think. Am I totally off with all of them? Am I totally on with a lot of them? All of them? None of them? I don't know. You let me know in the comments. But that's my projections. Those are my projections. Now, we are going to get into the wins projection the wins and losses because this is where it gets fun (laughs) so it's obviously not an 82 game season it's a lot shorter 10 games are shaved off the schedule and so when you take that account that into account um it changes obviously the way records look win loss records so normally i would say i'm aiming for 35 to 40 wins in an 82 game schedule but again, you shave off 10 games. I think that, that 35 to 40 looks more like 30 to 35 wins. That is my goal. Not saying they're going to get that, but that's my goal. You know, Goal versus expectation, two completely different things. But 30 to 35 wins would be my goal. Okay, but here's the thing. You know, I just throw a number out there just because I want to throw a number out there and see if I'm right. The real thing here, it's not about how many wins, but rather how they get their wins. Right, that's what really matters. How are the Knicks going to get their wins? That's my biggest concern when we talk about Tom Thibodeau. Okay, that's going to be the theme of the season. Maybe how the Knicks are getting, you know, through this season. Are they doing it by playing temporary veteran stop gaps, or are they going to play the majority of their youth, and you know? And do it the right way. The way you're supposed to rebuild. So that's going to be something we all keep an eye on. You know, and I did, you know, I was reading a tweet. Uh, forget who said it. I think Begley, maybe Ian Begley. Is that how you pronounce his fucking name? I have a feeling I'm butchering it. But fucking Ian put out a tweet. Okay. Um, he And he quoted. I think it was him. But he quoted Tom Thibodeau. Who said, when asked about player development. And if the Knicks are going to play the youth. He said something that's a little concerning to me. He said there's a lot of different ways to develop. But also understanding the importance of winning. And how important that is. Things are going to be earned. You know, to a casual, it doesn't sound like much, right? To a casual who doesn't watch every Knicks game. Sure, that's a cute quote, right? It's a motivational quote. You know, play hard or you're out of here. But to any loser like me who invests all their time on the NYK, on the Knicks, it's a bit concerning to hear, right? You look at Tom Thibodeau. He's 63 years old, signed for five years in the twilight of his coaching career. So something tells me he's not going to spend his twilight years focusing on player development. Something tells me, you know, I have a terrible feeling in me that he's going to be spending his time doing what Mike Miller was doing with the Knicks last year. Chasing wins just to improve that resume or whatever. And I hope that's not the case. But knowing tips from the past, he's guy. He's a guy with a winning mentality. And I love winning. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about winning. You know this. But there are situations. The Knicks aren't in a situation where they should be chasing wing, wins if it means they're not going to be contending anyway, right? And, and this isn't a tanking thing. Don't get me wrong. Tanking is toxic. Tanking doesn't always work. Look at the Sixers. Tanking is a joke. This is more... We've got young kids who we are drafting, right? We, we, we finally have 
some decent draft picks. Right? We're finally starting to do something decent here. We get Mitchell Robinson as a steal in the second round of 2018. We get R.J. Barrett last year at number three. The best pick available there. We get the best pick available this year at number eight in Toppin. So we finally are starting to do some smart shit. We've got three cornerstones. So why the fuck would you not play these guys and prioritize them over your temporary vets who are not going to be here in one, two years from now? Why would you do that? right? Why would you not play the kids? You're not... Look, with the guys, with the vets, you're not competing. Even if you play all the vets, you're not making the playoffs. Okay, At best, you're getting 35 victories, and that's not enough in the East. You're getting 35... That's probably not going to be enough in the East. Okay, so uh, knowing that, knowing that you're not going to contend no matter what combination of players you put out there, why wouldn't you do it with the youths, right? I will take four or five less victories if it means that the youth is out there playing, right? So I don't want to see. It's a different thing. It's one thing if a player's not trying, okay? If a player's half-assing it, and the body language looks poor, and he's not even giving effort, then Tibbs can yank him all he wants, okay? you got to learn how to play hard. But if it's like, if it's a situation where we saw last year, where R.J. Barrett is struggling to find his jumper in the fourth quarter, and you pull him, and you plug in Reggie Bullock just to get some extra shooting to edge out the victory, and, and jump from 14th to the 13th seed, that's what's, that's what's going to bug me, right? Shit like that. So if we're in a situation like that where we're losing late in a game and maybe a veteran gives us a better chance over one of the kids, you got to stick with the kids. you got to let the kids go through that adversity. You're not going to improve as a unit. you got to let them gain chemistry with each other. They've got to gain chemistry. They've got to learn how to play a proper brand of basketball together because these are the guys that are going to be here long term. Throw them out there. Let them gel with each other. Learn their kinks. Their... They're, you know, they're goods, they're bads. Let them fucking play with each other. You're not going anywhere anyways. So why not go nowhere with your youths? Why go nowhere with your vets when you could be going nowhere with guys who are going to be here long term? Am I making sense? I think I am. So that's my whole thing. That's what concerns me about tips. And that's a huge concern because Fizdale didn't play, um, didn't, didn't develop players, right? He was terrible in terms of PD. Mike Miller, yeah, the record looked better, but... Same thing. Terrible in terms of player development. You hope with Leon Rose in control, with Steve Mills out the window, and now Tom Thibodeau here, that things are starting to change in the regime. And the Knicks, as they've made it known this offseason, at least saying it, are going to head towards developing their young foundation. So, that's what I'm hoping. So it's not about the amount of wins. It's about how we are getting to that total. Okay, if we're not gonna, we're not again. We're not contending. Don't go into the season thinking playoffs. You're gonna be severely disappointed. The East has gotten stronger, by the way. You know, I will take. Let's say, at best, we get number nine. The the ninth seed. I would take getting the tenth or eleventh seed if that means it's coming with the youth as opposed to grabbing the ninth seed with the vets. Okay. And I don't see any scenario where we contend for the eight. So don't worry. I'm not even thinking about lottery positioning anymore either. Again, fucking tanking's out the window. I don't think about that. I never do. Okay. So Kate Cunningham, you could throw that talk out the window. I don't care. Okay. I think at this point we have a foundation we can try to build on. And, and I think from here, Nobody wants to go to a fucking 21 team, so, so fuck off with that shit, okay? Fuck off. But I think from here, you start building. You start trying to progress. You start trying to, you know, learn how to win together and get these young kids, you know, playing proper basketball. Make MSG great again. So that's my plan, guys. All right? My opinion, all right? You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree. I totally understand. Kind of. All right. So we're going to head to break one last time when we get back. Uh, you know what? We're done with breaks. We don't have enough ads um, to plug in. So let's just get right to it. Let's get to the NYY, NYK, 
question of the day, and then we'll wrap this thing up. All right. All right, so um, last time out, last time in episode 191, uh, we were doing Yankees. So I asked you guys to name one of the two Yankees who hit a Grand Slam in a World Series loss. Okay, so name one of two Yankees to hit a Grand Slam in a World Series game loss. Um, the answer to that question, you could have named Yogi Berra or Jose Canseco. Both of them have hit a Grand Slam in a loss during a World Series. So, during a World Series. Uh, for 192 tonight, this episode's NYY, NYK question of the day brought to you by Anchor is... We're going back to 2013 again. Okay, we like to talk about that in here, don't we? Um, uh, but who was tied with J.R. Smith... For the most three-point makes in the 2013 postseason for the Knicks. Okay, so J.R. Smith was one of two players to lead the Knicks with the most three-point makes in the 2013 postseason. Who was the other guy? Alright, so message me the answer or comment on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And that's that, guys. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for listening to BD4. Uh, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. I appreciate every one of you for checking us out. Um, You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify Podcasts, on YouTube. You can watch us. And there's plenty more platforms for the podcast as well. Just go to my website, nysportstalkrc.wordpress.com forward slash connect to get that information. Guys, thank you so much. That's all we've got for tonight, and I'll see you next time. All right. Ciao. This podcast is sponsored by Anchor.